0: So I in 2017, I was up here lobbying for Medicaid expansion, and I'd show up in an office just like this, and I'd look across to the Republican, and I'd say, listen, Medicaid expansion will do wonders for your district. It's good for workforce development. It'll infuse millions of dollars back into your rural economy. And they sat there and said, I don't care. I know, but I'm not going to vote for it because it's a liberal policy.
1: Welcome to Shout Your Cause with Sally Hendrick, a digital magazine where you can get found, get heard, and get inspired with content that challenges us to be globally minded. Our focus is on raising awareness around social justice issues, cultural differences, and to bring you the people dedicating their lives to tackling challenging topics as their way of giving back. Let us be your advocate to make your voices heard around the world. Hey, everybody, it's Sally Hendrick again for Shout Your Cause, and today I'm very excited to bring Afton Bain to the table. Hello, Afton. Hi, I'm super
0: excited to be here.
1: Yeah, tell us exactly what you do for the Tennessee House. You know, what are you? What do you call yourself?
0: (laughs) Well, it depends on the day. Sometimes I'm a politician, but mostly... um, I uh, represent the house, Tennessee House District 51, which for your listeners comprises of downtown Nashville, Germantown, East Nashville, Inglewood, Donaldson, and Madison. Uh, it's about 60,000 voters. And I am a member of the uh, larger body, which is comprised of 99 House members all across the state of Tennessee. Nice. And the district's range in terms of uh, amount of voters. And uh, I am one, I believe, of 12 women uh, out of 99 people uh, and one of three Democratic women uh, representing the only representative of Nashville, um, only female representative of Nashville. There are only three Democratic women. Yeah. So Representative Leader Camper is from Memphis. Representative Johnson is from Knoxville. And I'm from Nashville. So at least you have representation in the Tennessee House in terms of gender. So.
1: Well, and you happen to be the district that I'm in. So I voted for you and (laughs) I didn't know who you were, but I did read about you. I I always try to read about what's going on before I go to the polls. and, And I don't think that a lot of people actually do that. But I do think that it would be really kind of fun to get some education about how the whole House and Senate and everything is set up and um so now when you're talking about you you represent district 51 Justin Jones is he on the same level as you but he but represents a different number district
0: correct 52 in our and our district, they're almost i don't know if you can see the map in the back i know we're on zoom but um his district uh it's is catty it butts court. up
1: against yours yes. yeah cuz i know he's in east nashville i know that a friend of mine who lives over in that area um he is his representative so that's right and
0: how many are there in the senate so there are 33 members of the tennessee state senate and they represent much broader and diverse districts uh, across the state so it's a smaller body um it's similar a similar parallel to the federal government where the senate they feel like the parents of the group and the house are you know a bunch of the circus and the kids. Um, and so it's a more mature body. You represent more voters. Uh, and that's, that's the same for the Tennessee state Senate as well. Okay.
1: And how long are the terms for each for the house and for the Senate?
0: Yeah. So for the house, it's every two years and I believe for the Senate, that's a great question. It's, I think it's every four years. So, um, yeah, every four years. And what's interesting is so every single House member in the Tennessee House of Representatives is up every two years. So the terms for the Tennessee State Senate are every four years, and you have half the seats that are up every four years, and then the other uh, yeah. the other half are up in the two years. So a total of 17 seats out of the Senate's 33 will be up for election in 2022, um, and the Republicans hold about a 27-6 majority, supermajority.
1: 276 Oh, on the Senate. Okay, got it. So, um are there
0: term limits on both
1: or is- no. No, term no term limits at all.
0: No, and in fact, I went to the I went to Memphis this past weekend to participate in the Joint House Democratic House and Senate Caucus Retreat and Larry Miller, Representative Larry Miller who's from Memphis, I asked him how long he's been in the House and he said almost 30 years. <laughs> 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 And 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 um representative uh Bo Mitchell, who was sitting next to me, said, How old are you, Afton? And I said 34, and we all had a big laugh about it. So
1: Oh yeah, that you were four years old when he started. Yeah. And I had just gotten married about that time. <laughs> Do you have a dog? Learn unleashed potential dog training secrets with Duke Ferguson. This free video series will get you pro training tips. So you can get your dog's attention, eliminate behavioral problems, and enhance your relationship in just 20 minutes a day. Sign up at sallyhendrick.com forward slash dog trading. Now, I'd love to go into the bill that you are talking about, the one you're sponsoring, it's about abolishing the grocery tax. will not you tell us a little bit more about that bill and about how much money we're talking about and how that works?
0: Sure. So every house representative has the ability to draft and file 15 bills. And because of the nature of my district, some of those bills are often liquor licenses, which uh, prior to previous legislation had to be individual bills. And and remember the reminder for your listeners, I represent all of downtown Nashville, including Broadway. So you can imagine I have a lot of liquor licenses, but my seminal piece of legislation this year is to eliminate the Tennessee grocery tax. So the grocery tax was introduced. I, I ended up meeting a former the former minority leader of the Tennessee House and asked him when was it introduced and he said it was way beyond my year. so uh we're talking a long time ago um and so uh, it dependent on your county it could be up a 10 uh, up to 10% amount of taxes on your grocery bill depending on what county you live in um so the republican supermajority passed legislation to enact a respite, a break for the grocery tax two years ago. And then this year they prolonged it to three months. And my bill suggests that we should eliminate the grocery tax permanently. Um, And the importance of this is inflation is super high. Groceries are something that Tennessee families have to buy out of... (laughs) Necessity. Um, And food should not be taxed. It's one of the most regressive taxes in the country. Um, I think we're one of only two or three states that doesn't have an income tax that taxes food. Uh, And my office since announcing this has been hearing all across the state from rural voters, urban voters, young people, folks on SSI, disability, saying this this permanently eliminating the grocery tax would deeply benefit my life. Um, and the way I'm going to pay for it is, you know, the Republican supermajority, when you file a bill, they want to know, especially if it has a fiscal note and how you're going to pay for it. Well, my bill has a way to pay for it which is 60% of the corporations in the state of Tennessee don't pay their fair share in taxes. They don't pay what they owe. Um, So, for example, a business owner, a local national business owner who generates $50 million worth of revenue pays more in taxes than, say, Amazon or FedEx. And so what my bill does is it closes offshore tax loopholes for these mega national corporations, um, which is about half of the tax, uh, about Four or $500 million. Uh, And then the other half is paid for by something that I call the enterprise tax, which is what New Hampshire passed recently, uh, a state that also doesn't have a state income tax. But it's almost, um, it's comparable to a corporate minimum tax where companies making over a certain threshold of revenue uh, are taxed at that revenue and that money goes back into the state of Tennessee.
1: Gotcha. So you have to put up what, who's going to pay for it, how it's going to be done because otherwise your bill is just dead in the water immediately.
0: Well, and, and to provide more nuance to your listeners, we are in a de- we, we have a Democratic super minorities in both chambers. So when you're talking about what is our role right now in 2023 and 2024, um, it is not governance. We are not governing because we are not in leadership positions. We barely we have very little committee leadership positions. Um, and so what we do in a super minority is harm reduction. So my role in this, especially representing a very progressive, uh, highly educated, highly engaged district, is to reduce harm for marginalized communities. Um, and my grocery bill ta- my eliminating the grocery tax does just that. Cool. So getting
1: back to the educational part of this episode, how do you go about writing
0: a bill? Oh, I love, and this is, I, it, it, I'm so excited to share this with you. I love being in a learning environment. And the best part of being new is I can ask a million questions and no one, you know, no one kind of, I, I think in a decade, if I'm here, they're going to be like, why are you asking that? You should are know you
1: asking this or, question. You should know this.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I've come in and just, I'm like, why, why, why do we do that? Why do we do that? How do we do this? So um, in terms of writing a bill, so I thought, that I'd have to come in and have my whole bill written. I'd have to work with groups that I have to do all the research. And there's actually an entity uh, baked into the Tennessee general assembly called legal services. And it's staffed by a bunch of attorneys who have specialties in their fields, uh, proprietary fields, like tax policy and healthcare and anti-discrimination, etc. And you send it to legal services and you are paired with an attorney who drafts your bill. And then it's a back and forth process before you file it. And in uh, Tennessee, you have to have a Senate sponsor and a house sponsor. Um, so some of the frenetic activity prior to fi- filing a bill is finding a Senate sponsor so that you can actually file it. And then once it's filed, I haven't reached that process yet because I haven't filed any bills. So I'll have to come back and tell you how how that, how that goes. Um, but apparently once it's filed, it's in the system. And that's when it makes its way through uh, the committees. And so it'll be assigned a committee by, I believe, the Speaker of the House. Uh, it goes to that committee and then either it dies in committee or it moves forward. And then there's various committees that that bill is associated with pending its jurisdiction. Um, and then the end game for a bill, hopefully, is that it hits the House floor uh, and you either vote it down or you vote for, for, vote for it. Um, And then meanwhile, the Senate is doing the same thing, right? And then i I love the schoolhouse rock. I'm excited because I I want to I want to be I want to have my own schoolhouse rock presentation. So this is good practice for me. Uh, So as the bill makes its way through the Senate. uh, And then finally, if it passes both the Senate chamber and the House chamber, it goes to the governor to be signed and he can either veto it or sign it.
1: Well, I'm just a bill on Capitol Hill. So (laughs) there you go. I love Schoolhouse Rock, by the way. I, I sang Conjunction Junction yesterday just randomly in the car with my husband. So <laughs> I love that. That's funny. Um. So that's cool. So you go through all of this process and then you get to finally vote. But, at, but don't you kind of know how things are going to go before it gets to a vote?
0: Yeah, so unfortunately, because we have a, Republican supermajority, the bill's trajectory is predictable. <laughs> um, but in in terms of the utility of the bill, and so um, for your listeners and this is for any legislator, but you have your North Star bills. So these are bills that you message on that may not be able, may not have the ability to be passed, but they're deeply important for your politic, for your political agenda, for organizing across the state. Um, and so for me, the elimination of the grocery tax bill is a messaging bill. And so even if it doesn't move forward through committee, um, you know, there's an organization, Tennessee for All that's picked it up and they're going to organize around it across the state. provides an organizing opportunity for a lot of groups that want to push forward their issues and especially do some localized um, work at home. Uh, Then you have your constituent bills, which are bills that, for example, you Sally, you could send me and say, hey, um," I don't know what a state issue would be. I'll give you an example. Um, There's a constituent in Donaldson who has an expertise in uh child child care daycare he's really interested in this and he sent me an email and said there's no current state law that um enforces a rule when you are on a daycare waiting list and that daycare shuts down, it doesn't notify you that the facility is shutting down. And so therefore, you're not notified on the waitlist. So he said, is this something that we can make a law? It's like, yeah, of course. So that's an example where it's it's more technical. And that's a law that I think you know both parties can get behind for the most part. So you have your messaging bills, you have your technical bills, and then you have your resolutions. And this is the one I can't, I, I don't want to give it away right now. But so the resolutions are to either honor people in the district, um, or say you have a big, like there's a, f- there, uh, for example, I'm trying to think TSU, like say they had a hundred year anniversary, which they probably already had, but, uh, the legislator can draft a resolution and then it goes to the house floor and it's voted on. Um, I have a few resolutions that I'm excited. I don't want to debut cause I don't want the Republicans to know what I'm doing, but, um, to get them on record for or against something as, as a resolution. And then the last, uh, well, I'm I'm still finding out, you know, more tools that I have in my toolbox. But the really cool one, I wonder if I can go. Well, your, your viewers won't be able to see it. But my favorite part, one of my favorite parts of the job is writing proclamations. And so proclamations are something that I can do as a legislator to uh, honor a restaurant opening or your um quinceanera, for example, Uh, and I can draft it and it can either be signed by Speaker Sexton, the speaker, um, or I can just draft it in my office. And that's what I did for Small Business Saturday to honor a few small businesses uh, in the district. So those are a few tools that I have in my toolbox as a legislator that I use routinely.
1: Do you want to stand out from the crowd with your content? Come discover how to market yourself as an expert, as a change maker, as a positive influence on other people's lives. With the Exponential Marketing Club, you will learn the ins and outs of content marketing that makes a difference in the world. Visit sallyhendrick.com forward slash club. Well, what about, uh, let's say, what about Twitter or X as it's called now? Uh, It's always going to be like Prince, formerly known as Prince. It's going to be formerly known (laughs) as Twitter because nobody knows what that means when you say X.
0: (laughs) I love it. What what about it?
1: Do you use it?
0: So I, so in 2016, I created an account. I was working at the UN uh, and organized a big youth conference in switzerland i was that that was my um, main job at the moment and i had to have twitter and so i was retweeting things and i don't really know how to use it well then i moved back to tennessee to get involved in politics and my job at the time at the tennessee justice center required that i was tweeting at legislators that i was communicating and, and using it as a community organizing tool um, and so I have used Twitter throughout politics. I think Twitter is where politics reside for a very long time. I think now, as we've seen it,, um, you know, it's been taken over by Elon Musk. Uh, they've allowed bots. they've removed a lot of the the safety parameters and and privacy. There's privacy concerns. So I think for me as a legislator, I have to think about the utility of it in this moment um, and then my value system. And so I think a lot of progressives, a lot of Democrats in 2024 are thinking like, do we want to use X or Twitter as, you know, in our campaigns, in how we're communicating to constituents? I will say, particularly for our district, that there are a lot of our people on Twitter. It's not the majority of the district, but as I said, we have a highly engaged highly active district. And a lot of those folks are on Twitter. So I do feel comfortable using it. Um, more of the, I think a lot of rural legislators don't even have Twitter, for example. But I think as we head into 2024, I think it's an existential question about how we engage with the platform and do we end up leaving in mass because of the value system that it holds now.
1: So what about TikTok? Have you ever dabbled in that?
0: Ugh. I so I love TikTok. Like I had to put a, uh, a limitation. It's like a an app that limits your time on TikTok on yeah. my phone because yeah. I will just, especially since I have ADHD. It's it's you know a bit of a one minute, one minute. Yes, it's a, I'm a, obsessed. You know, it's like a drug for me. So um, but I have seen and and so my day job for your listeners. I also am in politics in my day job. Um, I work for a rural organization that passes federal rural policy, um, or lobbies for progressive federal rural policy, and then um, runs rural programming, uh, political programming in Senate states. Um, and so nationally, TikTok is very used, especially by young folks. Um, and I think more and more it's becoming the interactive Wikipedia of our day. I love that I can go into the search bar and I'm like, you know, for example, like how do I clean, how's best properly to clean my computer screen? And then, you know, there's 1600 videos showing me how to do that. Yeah. Right, right. So, um, you know, it's just a, a, an incredible, vast uh inventory of information. Now, in terms of uh, usage for my campaign, I did not use TikTok, but I do think that that's where a lot of young folks, especially in our district are. And I would love to see um, more engagement from me on TikTok in terms of updates, like legislative updates for videos, for example.
1: Yeah, you got to f- kind of find your shtick. And I think that anything that you could do to educate people would be tremendous because here's the thing that that um, bothers me. It seems like because it's a super majority on the Republican side is that you rarely get to hear from Democrats. Democrats, you rarely get to hear, you know, the the whole story and you're only hearing one side so if you are educating people on what's happening with current bills with current votes with uh you know committees anything yeah. that that's going on i think people would be very receptive to that on TikTok. And even though it you consider it young people, I promise you <laughs> there's a lot of others that are listening to yeah. TikTok videos as well, including me.
0: Yeah, and I think we've also seen the year of TikTok politicization in terms of the right trying to dismantle it <laughs> or outlaw it um, because it does provide access to information in a way that has never existed. And so um, for me, I, I like to remain culturally, culturally relevant as a millennial. It's very important to me, especially for you <laughs> to, to not be, uh, you know, outdated with young people. But also, I, I, I do absolutely agree with you. So I think that's something that I want to um, utilize in the upcoming session is yeah. definitely. talk.
1: Well, that would be neat if it was your official official account, I guess, to be able to I know help. I just
0: had a I just had an idea. I'm like, oh, I should probably create that Ooh. so someone doesn't oh. take the name, for example. Nice.
1: Um Allie Phillips, who you know obviously, is she's running for district 75, which is is that Montgomery County where Clarksville yes. is? Yes. So um she is definitely on TikTok, but she was already an influencer on TikTok yes. before she decided to run. And, uh, that's where I met you at the, <laughs> at the in uh, the last two events that I've been to, uh, that's where I met you and you were at both of them. So I thought that was really great that you guys were supporting each other, that everybody was kind of together. I liked the fact that it was the A team. It was Allie <laughs> and Afton and what's the other girl's name? Allison yes. or Allison. Yeah. And, um, and Gloria Johnson was there and I got to meet her. Stick a bug in her ear to answer my email about interviewing. (laughs) I I would love to talk to her too. She's been in for a while.
0: Yeah. In terms of like, and you know, you brought up Ali's TikTok ascendance. There is a major generational shift happening in terms of who we recruit to run for office and who is defined as having the pedigree to be a legislator. Um, Ali and I have very different backgrounds, uh, period, but I think we're going to see more candidates that come from the digital age and, you know, grew up online, have the same stories, have the same, uh, you know, catalog of information and videos, um, and and narratives that, that Ali does on her platforms. Uh, and I'm really excited to see that because I think she can reach a lot more people, obviously, running a campaign, she's, she will have to engage in the more traditional tactics of campaigning, but I'm excited to see this next generation, especially Gen Z, um, who grew up online. So, um, but just to say that the profile of, of what a traditional candidate looks like is shifting. And I'm really excited to embrace that because I think we need more people like Ali in the, in the Tennessee state house.
1: Yeah. I like that. And she brings just a completely different perspective that possibly others just, forget about or don't even know about because of their background. Would you rather work or would you rather play? If we're going to go through all of this business building stuff, it better be for something that we love doing, right? Take a moment to do this quick life purpose challenge to discover what makes you truly happy. It's free. Visit sallyhendrick.com forward slash life purpose. I'd love to know more about how you even got involved in all of this. What, where'd you go to school? What'd you major in? What was your first job? You know, how, how, what's your job situation that you've been able to get into this?
0: Yeah. So I, I never wanted to be in politics. I think like a lot of Democrats or progressives, we start out by um, being involved in community service projects, which is exactly what I did in high school. Um, I did go to a private school in Knoxville because I was zoned for a not so great public school um, and ended up going to school with the governor's kids, Governor Haslam. Um, And so for me, it's been really interesting as a left leaning uh, more of a left left populist, if you will, in the seat um, to have come from a very wealthy white private school um, and navigating. I think navigating those those systems um, has enabled me to be a bit more understanding of those systems here in the power center of the state. Um, and then I went to the University of Texas and I thought I wanted to be a psychologist. And so I was heavily involved in academia. I worked in psychology labs. Um, worked at nonprofits where I was doing, you know, mental health type work. Um, And then I decided to go to graduate school for social work because I knew I wanted to get my master's degree. And at the time, I think there was, you know, you couldn't really move, move um, positions in a nonprofit if you didn't have a master's degree. Uh, So I went back and I think um, a question I love when I was asked this at a Vanderbilt panel, uh, young uh, Vanderbilt Democrats panel what was your radicalizing moment and for me i was working at a transitional housing center for homeless youth in austin because uh, in graduate school for social work you have to work for a year uh, you have to intern for a year at a facility so you can build your clinical skills which i'll come back to um, but i had a client named chris who was a 20 year old black man um, and he told me uh, in May that right, right as my term was ending, he said, "You know, I I probably won't live to see 21." And I was like, "No, you know, you've got your whole. We've worked so hard. You've, you know, you've got a plan ahead of you. We've, we've thrown everything at this. I believe in you. You've got the skills necessary to do this." Uh, and then three weeks later, my my practicum ended, and I got a call from my field uh coach or my, my field leader and said that chris had died from gun violence and that was at the time when mike brown was shot um so i showed up at the texas capitol and immersed myself in a lot of the black lives matter rallies and and protests uh and just you know started spiraling into like what does this all mean what does this mean for our country why how am i involved in this what does this mean for my privilege and position in this world um and so then, in, in social work, you can choose choose two tracks. You can either be a clinical social worker, so those are your therapists, or you can choose the policy route, and that's what I did. So I actually have a background in macro policy, um, is my expertise. So I uh, applied to work at the United Nations for their my final internship of the of my um, graduate studies it was accepted, and I arrived at the apex of the refugee crisis. So do you remember in 2016 when? Migrants were in boats and they were capsizing on the Mediterranean, and those pictures of of children washing up on the Mediterranean beaches in Italy. Um, that's when I arrived at the refugee UNHCR, the refugee agency for UN for the UN. And I think this is relevant now as to what's happening. Is that my political education was sitting in the cafeteria talking to folks from Yemen, from the Sudan, from Israel, from Palestine, and uh, trying to understand. What was happening and how, you know, their thoughts and their epistemic privilege in the situation and their positionality and how they thought about it. Um, And so then I was I was ended up I ended up being hired um, to work in a department there for LGBTQIA refugees. So they produce a lot of materials to support gay refugees across the world, which, as you know, are probably one of the most marginalized, if not the most marginalized group in the entire globe. And then Trump was elected. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and I went to bed I was living in France in a farm uh and woke up and was and like all of you I mean I lost it I lost it my parents were asleep I couldn't call anyone because everyone had fallen asleep and I thought oh my god I go how did this state that I grew up in vote for Trump I mean I could not I could not reconcile it I really couldn't so I decided to move back. And I remember taking out, taking my parents out to dinner in Oxville and said, I want to get involved in Tennessee politics. And my mom started crying, like sobbing. She was just like, you can't do this. We've we've sacrificed so much for you to be at the UN and, and this is the most prestigious. And now you're gonna move back to Appalachia. Like what? So uh, it was, yeah. And then the too long don't read version is I got a community organizing job. I was hired as the community organizer for a local nonprofit. And as you know, Trump went after the Affordable Care Act in 2017. And so I spent my entire, you know, the first four years or, you know, mostly Trump's administration organizing across the state. I was the only statewide organizer. I've, I've organized in every single congressional district in Tennessee. I have groups in Fentress and Polk and and Hardiman counties. Um, and then. Uh, I decided to get involved and and actually figure out how to campaign and run elections. And I, I want to pause there and I'm sorry, I'm just like taking up a lot of space, but no, I think fine. it's important. I think it's important for your listeners to hear my radicalization journey because you all, especially these covenant moms and folks that came to the special session. So I, in 2017, I was up here lobbying for Medicaid expansion and I'd show up in an office just like this. And I look across to the Republican and I'd say, listen, Medicaid expansion will do wonders for your district. It's good for workforce development. It'll infuse millions of dollars back into your rural economy. And they sat there and said, I don't care. I know, but I'm not going to vote for it because it's a liberal policy. So here I was thinking, OK, if you just show them the facts, right, like, de- like Democrats love facts, like if we just show them the facts, the numbers, they're going to no. So I thought, okay, if you're not going to pass this, I'm going to get rid of you. So I learned how to run campaigns. I learned how to elect Democrats. um, And I spent 2018 to 2022 doing that. Um, But as you know, it's very hard to win elections in this state. And so in 2020, I ran a coordinated effort to flip four state house seats. And we lost every single one of them because the Republicans outspent, outspent us three to one. So then... As you, as you know, I decided to run because I had a breaking moment during the Tennessee three protest. I just thought I have been up here every year since 2016. Nothing has changed. Things are getting worse. And if I can't, if you won't vote for the policies I want, if I can't get rid of you, then I'm going to go inside and I'm going to be the voice in your ear. I was going to say the bug every in your ear. Every single day. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So and I think like for a lot of you, I mean, watching what unfolded the special session and you're just like, oh, my God, these people don't care about anything. No, they don't. They just want to be in line with.
1: The political like the political divide that just that really blows my mind, because if you're elected, you're supposed to be helping people, you're not supposed to be. You know, just following, it's almost like they've got somebody just saying, here, here's what you do, here's what you do, which obviously is the case when you talk about uh, the ALEC bills that are passed around, all of the things about women's health care and abortion yep. care, yep. All, all of the latest decisions and things that have been happening. It's been really difficult to watch. Turn what you know into what you do. Join the platform with the most ways to monetize what you know, whether it's online courses, coaching, memberships, podcasts, newsletters, communities, or more. Kajabi gives you all the tools you need to build, market, and sell it with just a few clicks. Sign up at sallyhendrick.com forward slash Kajabi. That's K-A-J-A-B-I. How in the world do you get anything passed as a Democrat in Tennessee? I mean, are you just here to support other people who are running for the Democratic ticket? You know what do you
0: what do you do? What do you what does a citizen do? So I think for and and to be very clear, and I think this is what this is surprising for a lot of people who I think don't know me, but running for this seat in this moment in time was. Highly intentional. I have, I have tried. I have worked to elect Democrats in the Tennessee State House. This is where my lobbying expertise is. And this moment in time, twenty twenty four is a critical year. We may be able to flip maybe two to three House seats. And guess who has the expertise to do that? Me. Yeah. So, like, I really this this was. I mean, I I'm I. Bill Representative Bill Beck was a incredible guy. And I'm so sorry he passed away. But for me, the seat is um, the usage of the seat is for us to elect more Democrats across the state so we can break the Republican supermajority and actually fix something. And I think for your listeners, what I'd like to say is and I saw this and I'm just saying this because 2018 happened. I supported candidates all across the state. I tried to elect Phil Bredesen. When you have such a broken system like we have in Tennessee, you cannot put all your, your eggs, your what you deem success, in the electoral basket. Because if your barometer of success is how many electoral wins we have, you will be forever disappointed. It is It is very hard to win elections in Tennessee. We don't have the ability to pass popular ballot measures because they removed that. Our seats are incredibly gerrymandered. So my pitch to your listeners and to you all across the district is, you know, yes, get out there and support Gloria Johnson. But more importantly, the, the actual races that we can win are these house seats. And it's also building power locally. And what are you doing to organize your communities to push back against the far right and what's happening here? Um, because I there's just not a lot like we need more people who are involved and are calling for you know mass change and I think uh, you know just to put a, uh, um, a pen in it, the Vanderbilt poll that uh, that was published this week that published this week shows just how out of alignment the Tennessee General Assembly is with the public with the Tennessee populace and there's no accountability for these people here. as I said their only threat is from is getting primaried from the right. So unless we have more and more people showing up, more and more people running for local office and more and more people organizing, I think that is the antidote to what we're facing. It's not thinking that every six years we're going to win a Senate race.
1: Yeah, yeah. There's got to be pressure from elsewhere. And another thing you could be doing on your TikTok as well would be to encourage people to call their representatives or write their representatives or whatever. And you would know which ones need to be, uh, (laughs) which ones need to have their phones ringing, which would be great information for Tennesseans. The last uh, episode that I did was with a woman named Jessica Craven. She's actually a delegate in California. She does. She run
0: the chop wood. Yeah, is- yes,
1: Chopwood Carrie Waters. Oh, I love her newsletter. I'm obsessed yeah. with the newsletter. Well, she, her TikTok is so educational and action oriented. Mm-hmm. You have to look. It's just crazy one oh one.
0: Oh my god, um, I, I didn't even know she had a TikTok. Oh. oh
1: yeah, she's huge on TikTok. She's she tells people. This is who you call and this is the phone number and this is what you need to say. And she'll sit there and make calls herself live on the camera and be like, Hi, representative so and so. This is what I'm, you know, am calling about, blah, 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 blah. My name is this, that, the other. And she just does those calls like constantly online and then gives people action steps to take.
0: How cool. Oh, oh, I'm so excited. I'm yeah,
1: go, like, yeah, go go no, watch wait. her TikTok. It'll give you ideas of things that you could do if you know if you decide to get in that world
0: well i'm gonna say my first video will be uh sally with shout your cause podcast said that i should make a tiktok and here we are here
1: we are (laughs) was there anything else that you would like to share with the audience before we wrap it up
0: yeah i think i never wanted to be a politician. I never, you know, I didn't, I think a lot of white men wake up and roll out of bed and think, I'm gonna run for office. I'd be a really good politician. Don't you think be a really good politician? Most women, that is not <laughs> that is not their trajectory and it wasn't mine. And what I would you you may not want to run for office and I posted this last night on my Instagram, but we are at a moment in time in this country when our systems are crumbling. And we need people to be engaged and educated on the matter and decide to be radicalized enough to run for office and change it because the next 50 years in this country will be tumultuous, scary, and we need people on the inside to support me and other, you know, progressives who are trying to rebuild this country from the bottom up. Um And I and I would just, you know, you don't if you are a woman, you are probably qualified to run for office in the state of Tennessee. Um, But please you know consider. I know it's you know, you don't think about running for office, but we need more folks who are stepping up at every level of government to push back against the far right in the state because we've conceded too much ground to them. Uh, And unless there are people who are willing to stand up across the state um, and say, no, this isn't appropriate or. You know we're building something and reimagining another world uh, together. Then I think that's what I would leave your audience with, and ask your audience to to consider running for office.
1: Wow, that's that's a big that's a big order I think. But I think if people started going to events or t- and talking to people, that it might not be as scary as uh, as they think, because it is a world of the unknown for most people. There's very few politicians and you know, in terms of the population.
0: Yeah. And right now, I mean, Gen Z will start running for it. That's what uh, my political friends and I talk about all the time. In the next few years, we'll see a lot of boomers passing away and a lot of Gen Z deciding to run for office and they're going to need mentors like me who have been on the inside, you know, for them mm-hmm. at that point, it'll be, you know, hopefully six or eight years, but who are saying, Hey, this is how you write a proclamation, or this is how you file a bill. <laughs> hey, have you thought about this? Or, so I'm excited to learn all I can this year in the, in the upcoming years, so that I can be the best mentor possible for the next generation.
1: Yeah. And I see, I see Gloria Johnson is kind of being the mother hen, For all of these younger ones coming up and then you get to step in and say, I've done it. I'm here. I'm on the other side. And, and now supporting like Allie and Allison. What was Allison's last name? Beal. Beal. That's what I thought. I didn't want to say it though and be wrong. (laughs) All right. Well, thank you so much. I think this has been great. A great interview and everybody, please stay tuned and subscribe to Shout Your Cause. Thank you for listening today. My name is Sally Hendrick. Be sure to visit our website for show notes and more information on how you can inspire others. If you would like to contribute content to our magazine, please apply on our website at shoutyourcause.com.